Welcome to the Love the Land podcast, brought to you by the Texas Grazing Land Coalition, where good stewardship of Texas rangeland is promoted through partnerships, technical assistance, training, and education. I am your host, Lee Burton, and I am honored to bring to you some of the most innovative thought leaders surrounding the efforts to conserve our Texas rangeland. If you are someone looking to improve the land in your care, or if you're just curious about the environmental impact of the vast amount of grazing land and its inhabitants in our state, then I think you'll enjoy hearing from our guests. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to leave a review. We'd love the chance to engage with you. Hey, welcome to the Love the Land podcast, a podcast from the Texas Grazing Lands Coalition. Um, and today we're going to talk about questions that we should ask when uh, entering into carbon market opportunities. Um, now these can be um, ecosystem services in general. Right now uh, what tends to be the hot button uh, discussion point out there are, are carbon contracts. So that's the ones we're kind of kind of focus on today. Um, I know I've heard this referred to as the the Wild West or uh, kind of the new frontier for uh, revenue streams for landowners as they're looking to increase revenue on their landscapes. Um, but, you know, there's also that, that that resounding phrase that if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. So an abundance of caution is certainly necessary as we look into these opportunities going forward. Um, so uh, what are those questions and what should landowners be asking as they get approached by um, companies that are coming to them to discuss these opportunities. So with that in mind, we were uh, fortunate to have along today three experts in this field that can sort of point us in the right direction. Um, I have with us Dr. Bill Fox. Among his wider array of achievements, Dr. Fox was named as a science advisor for the Ecosystem Services Market Research Consortium, which is developing the framework for the trade of ecosystem goods and services on the open market. So Bill, welcome. Um, I look forward to, to your expertise as we talk about these, uh, these credits that, uh, that we're, we're trying to produce on our lands through good management and, and how those play into the, the larger ecosystems market. Um, also along with us is Jeff Goodwin. Uh, Jeff serves as the program director for Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute in College Station. Um, prior to that, he was with Noble Research Foundation and, and within RCS um, prior to that. Mr. Goodwin has over 20 years of experience working directly with producers and grazing land managers implementing stewardship-focused management. And I can tell you from personal experience, you don't have to go very far until you find um, a quote from, from Mr. Goodwin or a, a YouTube video or somewhere where, where Jeff has devoted his life to helping uh, ranchers and, and farmers on the land uh, doing good stewardship management. And then um, also, um, I, I feel like this is kind of celebrity status because if you are a podcast follower of anything ag-related, then we have Tiffany Dowell-Lashment. Uh, she is the host of Ag Law in the Field podcast, and 
Um, I, I was I was telling her before we started recording that I feel like I'm interviewing a celebrity because I, I look to her podcast as as uh, inspiration to do this one. So um, definitely good information there. I think uh, Tiffany, if you have any legal related questions in agriculture, she's definitely a source to 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 seek out and find her wisdom because she has a, a definite gift to break down some legalese discussion matter into uh, into layman terminology that that uh, we can all understand. So Tiffany, Jeff, Dr. Fox, thank you guys for joining us. One of the things that sparked this is, um, so whenever we drop this podcast out on our platforms, it's going to be um, around the same time that uh, Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Convention is going on. And the Texas Grazing Lands Coalition is sponsoring uh, a panel at the um, at the at the convention, and it has to do with some some questions that you guys, uh, along with some others, developed to as a landowner guide to to asking smart questions when the companies come to them. And so that's going to be the framework of what we're going to be. Uh, getting into on this and there are six different different points that we want to cover. I know I had one mentor tell me before that it's a lot easier to get into a deal than it is to get out of a deal. And so uh, one of the things we need to be concerned with is if we're going to get into this deal, what's it going to look like when, when it's time to get out? So uh, with that in mind, Jeff, I'd like to start with you and just, uh, and just talk about some of this. And, and, and I think you know, if there's anything that you feel like is a is something that that's more of a, a a legal binding question or something, then we're going to let Tiffany answer those for us. But but from a science standpoint, I know we've got uh, Dr. Fox, Jeff. I mean, you guys are have have been having these discussions way before this was a, a buzzword on the street. So um, when it comes to uh, the commitment, Jeff, whenever a, whenever a, a company comes to 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 me as as a landowner or something and and um, what do I need to be thinking about? What are the what are the things that you're seeing in these different companies? What are these? How long is this commitment typically going to last? Well, from a from a, I think we we have to step back and think about why are we actually doing this? And so so these are you know these are opportunities to potentially be compensated for ecosystem services that that farmers and ranchers have been providing for a thousand years, right? Um, the 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 bottom line is that that producers have only been compensated for the services through uh, production of food and fiber, right? But but producers produce clean water, um, sequester carbon, all of these other uh, additional what we call um, uh, benefits or or services that 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 come from good grazing land management. Um, and so if we step back and look at that. Um, we need to look at this from a long-term perspective. It's not a. This is not a short-term game. Many of these, many of these metrics or or services we're looking at, um, you know, there's these early early sort of indicators uh, that that change fast and respond quickly to management. Carbon is not one of those. Carbon is a lagging indicator, and it takes many years to begin to to build up. And so that's why a lot of these contracts or, or, or agreements are, are longer term. It's because it takes a little longer to build up the, the soil organic matter and the soil organic carbon in the, in the soil. Um, you know, I might just, it's, it's interesting. We might just kind of back up and think about 
um, where we are and where, where, where uh, when most people think of carbon, they don't think about soil carbon. Um, they think about CO2, right? They think about carbon in the atmosphere. And, and really, when we start to think about where the carbon is on the planet, um, there's about uh, 780 billion tons of carbon in the atmosphere. There's about 580 billion tons of carbon in the terrestrial vegetation. Uh, that, that includes the grasslands and the forests and the, all of the terrestrial vegetation on the planet. Uh, but the top three, the, the top three feet, the top meter of soil uh, on the planet contains about 15, uh, about 14 to 1500 billion tons of soil. So there's more soil or there's more carbon in the top three feet of soil than there is in the atmosphere and the vegetation combined. And so that's where our opportunity is to uh, to really capitalize on some of these uh, opportunities. So, and, but but it's a it's a long term framework. Um you know, I, I, I'll let uh, I'll let Tiffany maybe mention or talk to potentially this idea of what uh, of permanence. Uh, but most of these uh, most of these outlook horizontal periods are 15 years at minimum, um, and and some are many much longer than that. Thanks, Jeff. So uh, one of the one of the words you mentioned there was permanence. So um, so so what what is that what does that actually speak to? Because that's a term that I'm not necessarily familiar with. Tiffany, would you be able to speak to that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the concept of permanence, when you're looking at it through the kind of lawyer lens, looking at a carbon contract, the idea there is, um, you know, we sign these contracts and we will store this carbon for the time period of the contract. But what happens after that? So the example I give is if you if you do a 10 year contract, what happens on, you know, 10 years in one day if you go out there and pile up that ground and then we release all that carbon that we had stored in the in the soil? And so the idea of permanence is there may be ongoing obligations in some contracts where, you know, the contract term might be 10 years, but maybe you have to leave things in place. Maybe there are still kind of ongoing requirements that outlive the time span of that contract. And that's where that idea of permanence comes from, is this desire to ensure that what's been stored and the actions that have been taken continue on through time. That's that's really interesting. So basically, I could enter a contract with a company, and they're gonna come out. I'm gonna do. We're we're gonna we're gonna agree to a certain management form, and then when ten years is up, they're done measuring, they're done paying, but they're gonna make sure that I continue to not plow that ground up and release that carbon that was sequestered. I mean, is that? Is that the way I understand it, right? Is it? Yeah. Is that... So it depends on the contract, mm -hmm. and, and you're gonna. I'm gonna say that about 117 times on this podcast, Lee. So I just get ready. But it depends on the contract. But there are some that do have permanence requirements in them. There are others that once that you know contractual term is up, everybody walks away and everyone's free to do what they will after that. But that's something you want to look for when you're analyzing the contract is what that term looks like. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for that clarification. Uh, so. I guess let's let's move on to um, compensation. That's the second the second topic of of questions that we need to be dealing with. And um, and I know Bill, you've been involved with uh, developing these markets. You've kind of been on you know for for many years before the the common person even knew what an ecosystem service was. Um, you've kind of been involved with some of the framework around these developing markets. And so, um, you know, how do we find prices for carbon credits? How do we, 
Um, how do we measure carbon? Is it, uh, I know there's, there's per ton references and then there's net CO2 equivalents. Um, Dr. Fox, do you mind speaking to some of that? Yeah, so, you know, for, from a compensation standpoint, the, kind of what uh, Tiffany said, there's a lot of, it depends. Uh, the market can drive this in different ways. Uh, the volunteer market is going to be able to drive these types of situations. Uh, right now, uh, we were talking earlier, I want to say that in general, we're kind of looking at the uh, ideas between 16 and say $23 per ton is what they're talking about or greenhouse equivalent. Uh, Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, anyway, you know, so so there's some numbers there. But if you go over into the European Union, those numbers change dr drastically. But is that being driven over there by uh, free market or by regu regulation? So there's a lot of things going on here from a compensation standpoint as to whether or not um, there's going to be, uh, you know, what that, what that price point is and, and, and how that price point is going to change over time. Uh, I think that uh, the, the, <laughs> The funny thing about this, this, uh, these markets and this whole idea is that it is truly a systems uh, vision of what all comes together. There's all kinds of things working here. It's not just a very simple um, trade on uh, like a New York Stock Exchange type of deal. There are all kinds of factors that are influencing what could become a price point for certain folks. Uh, so, you know, I hate to, I hate to do that. I hate to say it depends, but it does. And I think that it's going to change for a while. Uh, it's going to be pretty, uh, I wouldn't say volatile, but I think that there's a lot of potential for change quickly, numbers-wise, uh, as we continue to, to see these markets emerge. Uh, but, you know, going on to the second part of that question, I think I'd like to defer to Jeff because he's spent a lot of time really working on those metrics of how do you measure it? And so, Jeff, you want to throw in there uh, some thoughts on, on the second part of that question? Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms, to be honest with you, on the actual quantification of soil carbon. Um, as you well know, uh, the, the landscapes that we're dealing with, are, they're complex. They're, they're heterogeneous, meaning that they're, they're, they're different across the landscape, not only in, uh, from sort of topographic features, hydrology, uh, but our soils. We've got to not, if you've ever seen a soils map, it looks like a painting, right? That, that my son painted and he's, you know, 11 years old. So there's, there's a, a myriad of different soils out there. And all of those soils have different capabilities of sequestering, sequestering soil carbon. And, you know, and it, it so each ranch is going to be different, right? So each each ranch is going to have a, a a reasonable sort of expectation or capability of sequestering carbon, and then um, the another, the next ranch will be a little bit different. Um, the region of the country that you're in uh, plays a, a significant role uh, in in your ability to to sequester carbon we, we we often hear about the management practices well what practices are you putting on the landscape to be able to to sequester carbon well uh, a lot of that is driven more so by uh, where you actually reside uh, meaning are you in a, a cooler or a, a, you know drier type climate where it's much easier to build soil organic matter or are you in a, a drier or wetter in climate where we're cycling it much faster or not at all uh, or much slower, and so, so all that, all those factors go into play 
Um, there's a number of different uh, methodologies or protocols out there on actually quantifying and measuring uh, how many soil cores do you need to take. All those things are, are sort of laid out in what we call a protocol or a standard. And um, uh, but, but there's still questions around the uncertainty. Uh, the uncertainty of, of, you know, are we, are we actually taking enough samples to represent the variability across the ranch? Um, and so that's, a, that's been an ongoing battle for a while now. Um, the, the trouble is not everybody's using the same standards, right? Um, it's kind of uh, the Wild West, as mentioned earlier, it's, 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 a, bit of a, it's a bit of a challenge, um, you know, which, which, which ones are the best. Uh, it's just an ongoing, there's a lot of people doing research in that area. And um, um, we don't have all the answers yet. And Lee, I might just, just from a con, like a contractual standpoint, a couple of things that I kind of tell people to flag when they're looking at payments. Uh, one of them uh, we sort of maybe overlooked, but there are some contracts that pay you for adopting the practice. And then there are some contracts that pay you for the actual outcome. And I think that's an important distinction. So some contracts are right. It, let's just take, you know, regenerative grazing, for example. If you do regenerative grazing, right, if you check the box and do what you said you would do, you get the payment. I, I would liken that more to like a CRP, right? You undertake the practice, you get the money. Nobody's measuring there. But other contracts, and I think most of the ones that we see, and this is what Jeff and, and Bill were both talking about, are they're actually going to come out and measure the carbon that you have added to the soil, and you get paid on that amount, so those are two very different setups in the contract. So you want to make sure when you're looking at a contract, you understand which type you're looking at. So that's one thing. Um, and, and Jeff sort of alluded to this as well, but you need to know how much carbon storage potential you have in your area, uh, you know, with your type of soil, with your type of operation. And that really matters on those outcome contracts because, you know, when we're looking at a payment rate of, let's say, $20 per ton of carbon, well, if you can only store, you know, 0.1 tons of carbon a year, that drastically changes the economic analysis that you need to do, right? Versus if you could store a ton. So that's one more thing. The last thing I'll say on, on pricing is I've seen a couple contracts that have vesting provisions. And so that is where if you, you know, earn a certain amount of money in year one, you don't fully vest to where you can actually, you know, collect or be paid that amount of money until a certain amount of time is passed. So for example, let's say that it's a five year vesting period. You would only be able to actually cash out 20% of that money each of those years. And if you were to you know, um, quit the contract or otherwise get out of the, the program before that five year you know, fully vesting period, you're leaving that money on the table because of that provision. So that's just something else to kind of keep an eye out for. Man, thank you for that. I, I was not aware that there were uh contracts that actually didn't measure the carbon, but they were more principally focused on, uh, on practices out there. Um, so that's, that's interesting. Um, so, I mean, uh, from what I hear, and, and, and I mean, this is, you know, I guess naturally the way markets develop is there's a lot of figuring out that we have to do, but, um, but I think, you know, one question that comes to mind, and this is, uh, this doesn't necessarily have to do with compensation, but just in general, I'm thinking about the bigger picture where you've got a buyer, buying carbon credits and then you've got sellers and then you've got these companies in the middle that are brokering the deal. What are the buyers looking for in this? Are they looking for something that's 
focused on principles or are they looking for something more concrete that they can buy into that's science-based um, versus uh, just something that's kind of a theory? You know, if I'm a company and I'm looking for a long-term stable market that I'm going to invest in buying those credits with somebody, um, Jeff, do you have any insight on that? Well, I might add just a couple of comments and then uh, uh, I'm sure Tiffany has some, some thoughts there, but uh, <clears throat> you know, most of the companies that are interested in engaging in this market are, are, um, you know, they, they, they've set sustainability goals. Uh, they have ESG uh, goals. Um, many of them have, have set uh, net zero or, or, uh, you know, zero carbon emission uh, sort of goals for, say, 2030 or 2050. The trouble is a lot of them are still looking for ways to to meet those goals. Um, and so w when we look at what they're looking for, I mean, um, they're, they're, most of them are looking for that 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 carbon to be um, calculated in a CO2 equivalent um, because that's how they 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 can best uh, offset uh, their their quote unquote footprint, right? So, um, but I, I don't, I'd also say that, that they're interested in the story, right? I mean, I, I think some of them are interested in uh, their own value chain and supply chains. Um, and, and most of these producers are at the bottom of, of most of those value chains, whether they're producing beef or wheat or corn or whatever that, that commodity may be, they're in somebody's value chain unless they're selling it themselves. And so, and so there's, uh, there's interest in, uh, and in, in working down those value chains to be able to 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 um, uh, I guess better represent what that uh, what that um, what that that looks like from a from a from a full scale um, econo uh, ecological perspective. Um, yeah, so I think there's opportunities for them to 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 really tell the better story of how they play. Uh, in this market, but then also we've got to balance that because the story over only goes so far because this is a worldwide voluntary market available. So if if they can buy it for two dollars in Peru, why are they gonna you know why would they go why would they pay somebody in you know Lone Texas or or Brownwood uh, uh, you know price? So I I think there's some balancing that has to go into play there as well as we look at the market from a bigger perspective. Um, Tiffany or Bill, you may have different comments or perspectives. Yeah, I, I was going to add a little bit, I guess, to that kind of what, an analogy that I use sometimes when I'm discussing this is that, you know, over the past, say, 10, 15 years with this sustainability and all these ideas that are going on in the corporate world and all that, there's been a lot of green marketing, but ne not necessarily having uh, full on tangible products. I think that uh, part of this interest now is that these goods and services are developing tangible products, whether it be carbon sequestration, whether it be improvements in water quality, whether it be increases in biodiversity, whatever it may be, there are ways to quantify that and to utilize that. And that's where I think these, some of these companies are very interested in the tangible aspect of having the benefit of the goods and service. Uh, I think their shareholders in some ways are demanding that. We could see it uh, across the board. So I think that that's one of the things that they're really looking for. Uh, you know, th that they could put a number to the fact that uh, X pounds per acre of carbon have been sequestered or uh, water quality has improved by X percent in this, uh, this particular river or something like that. Those are real things that they can market upon, uh, not just you know, some of the, the more um, 
anecdotal or eclectic types of ideas for the sustainability. Excellent. Thank thank you guys for that for that insight, and, uh, and it kind of ties into you know just the whole measurement and verification piece um, as far as what is you know that's number three, and so. Uh, number three on this, uh, out of our, out of our six points that we're covering, is measurement verification. What you know, we with these contracts where they're coming out and they're actually getting on the land, they're measuring what we've got under the ground. Um, that data is collected. That data is valuable. It's valuable to the company that's buying. It's valuable to the the broker because they're learning how to validate the you know how to how to measure this stuff. But it's also valuable to me, you know, if I'm the one implementing management practices, I want to, I want that data to be at my disposal too, to learn how to make quality sound decisions long term. Tiffany, I might uh, ask you, who owns that data? And then what happens to that data if I have a, have a divorce with this company? And so um, can you speak to that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. And I'm going to give you my same line that I promised you. I would, I'll be consistent if nothing else. Okay. Uh, and that is, it depends on the contract. Um, I will tell you that most of the contracts I've seen do have a provision that makes very clear that it is the landowner who owns the data. So I think, again, you'd want to check your contract, but I think pretty standard is ownership remains with the landowner. Um, but certainly the ability to use that data for various things rests with the company. And so you want to check and see, you know, what, what can that data be used for? How may it be aggregated with other data? Um, because I think that that's something that can certainly differ among contracts. In addition to that ownership issue, I just, I always try to point this out to folks because I think it's really easy to overlook in these contracts. Understand the breadth of the data you're going to have to provide these companies. And, I, you know, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but just understand it. That You know, I've seen contracts where they list out Essentially, they can require you to provide them all farm data that you have, right? I mean, everything from calving weights to weaning weights to, you know, uh, fire history, what herbicides you put out, uh, yields, all, all sorts of that kind of data. Another provision that I think surprises a lot of people and I think people are not going to be thrilled with is um, a lot of them allow for aerial photographing of your property. And I base my thought that people may not love that on the number of questions I get on a monthly basis about whether or not we can shoot down drones. Um, so you need to realize, right, if, if you're agreeing to that in your contract, they're going to have that right to do that over your property, right, and make use of those photographs how they, they will under the contract. So, you know, just be aware and pay attention to that in the contract. Maybe that's not a big deal for you, but if it is, you certainly need to analyze that and think about it. Very good, very good stuff. The next, the, the next point that that we need to kind of be concerned with. I know we're we're all concerned with the, you know, with how much we're going to make from 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 carbon credit markets. But but what are the, what are the underlying costs, and what are you seeing in these contracts from a from a cost standpoint that the landowners are going to be uh, be needed to to pay in those? So I, I think there's I think there's some thoughts that need to be had around. Um, you know, if, if they're in some of these contracts that are that are 
uh, recommending or, or requiring a management practice, there's obviously going to be potentially some um, infrastructure costs associated with that. If they're recommending a particular type of grazing management strategy, there may be fencing, uh, there may be uh, livestock water development, there may be, there may be a lot of, of, of costs that, that the producer may, may, um, may, you know, may or may not, not be aware of when they sign the contract. And so, and so, you know, they need to be aware of, of what that might look like and do, you know, be able to, to balance uh, what, the, what the return is going to be and make sure there's a positive return on investment in this contract because they could be upside down pretty easy. Uh, and so, I, you know, I think this is, op- uh, this is certainly an opportunity for us to look at. I, I don't foresee carbon markets in the future being a, uh, uh, you know, a, an opportunity that's, that's really going to uh, change a lot of things from a financial perspective. I think they could be positive in some senses. Um, but, but, but I see it as an additive, an additive, um, sort of a stacking opportunity for us to continue to potentially, um, um, you know, diversify operations. I don't think it's going to necessarily take the place of a cow cap operation in, you know, or, or a wildlife enterprise, but it could certainly be a stacked opportunity. Um, but again, balancing, uh, the costs, uh, with partic- participation with uh, the outcome, uh, the financial outcome of the contract is going to be pretty key. So you better have a sharp pencil. Yeah, I was going to say that's the you know bottom line with this thing is that uh, you're still in operation, uh, and and those operational decisions are going to you know this is just one more variable to, that goes into that uh, uh, return on investment or or uh, profitability statements or things like that. So yeah, you got to keep that in mind, especially if you have to start changing. Uh, uh, practices or, or, or implementing things that require infrastructure or other ideas. One other thing I'd add on that same note, guys, is that um, it, all the contracts I've seen have what's called a stacking prohibition, which, you know, the basic idea here is if you're going to enroll this piece of property in one carbon contract, you can't also contract that same piece of property to somebody else, right? I think that makes perfect sense. But I'll tell you where I think people can get bid on that, and it ties into this sort of operational cost and looking at the big picture, is some of those stacking prohibitions are written so broadly as to prohibit participation, not only in another private carbon contract, but also in any government program. And so all of a sudden, if by signing a carbon contract, we're foregoing our right to be involved in something like EQIP or CRP or ARC and PLC, or, you know, a, a forthcoming, you know, FSA or NRCS carbon type program that could, you know, be created. Boy, that may be another cost that we sure need to keep in mind, kind of that idea of an opportunity cost we may be foregoing. So that's just one of the things to kind of add to the list. That's, that's really good. That, that, that kind of hits on the, the fifth and sixth points that, that were outlined in the questionnaire for landowners and that's restrictions and legal considerations uh so we've we've kind of touched on all of that stuff guys i want to be really respectful of your time and so we're at the, we're kind of at the end of it so um I, I want to just pitch one more question to all three of you and jeff i'd like to start with you and then um, go around our our circle but um, as with any carbon markets You've got early adopters that are gung-ho, ready to sign up today. And then you've got skeptics. So, Jeff, is it a good thing, you know, is this a good thing that we're going into? And I I think 
at least in my opinion, it's an opportunity for ag producers to finally tell their story to an audience that's willing to listen. What do you tell the the gung ho person, and then what do you what do you tell the one that's a skeptic? Great question. I'm going to tell them both to proceed with caution. Um, to be honest with you, uh, I, I you know emerging markets are, are exactly that. I mean, we don't we don't everything hasn't been sort of. Um, all of, the, all of the pluses and minuses haven't been identified. And um, I, I think it's in, you know, these early adopters, they're, they're sequestering carbon and they're accumulating organic matter because it benefits their operation, because it makes, it has a, a lot of other tr- intrinsic values back to the operation as a whole. Um, it, it increases, it, it has a positive influence on water holding capacity and it, it helps from a, a plant productivity perspective. There's a lots of reasons to sequester carbon outside of the fact that you might be able to sell a, a ton of it on a market. Um, there's a lots of reasons that it benefits the existing market that you have. Um, from the skeptical perspective, um, I would say that, that, that we have a right to be a little skeptical currently until um, at least for the first five years when we go back and we measure uh, the, the on a lot of these early contracts that first five-year window is the is the uh, you know the, the point where we'll say okay we modeled the, the soil carbon we, we modeled your sequestration rate now we, we measure again how much did you actually sequester did we over or underestimate uh, in our models and so uh, to me I mean there's a lot of these markets and maybe I'm a little more conservative than others. Um, but there's a lot of opportunities that in life where the, the, the early bird gets the worm. Um, I don't know. I'd be a little cautious to go after the worm on this one, but, um, I, I, I do think it's a positive. I, I do think it's a great thing that, uh, I told somebody the other day that, 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 you know, having the opportunity to get, uh, for producers to get compensated, for the ecological outcome that's outcomes that are that are providing benefits to society as a whole is a is a dream I've, I've, I've had for a long time but man there's there's also a considerable amount of challenges that have that have ar- arisen over the past six months that that uh, um, the, the, they are exactly that they're challenges so I'll, I'll stop let there and let the other two give their perspective excellent bill I, I, I'd uh, I, I guess the only thing that I might add to that, total agreement with what Jeff said, um, one of the things to think about across the board from uh, early adopters all the way to, to uh, skeptics is, you know, you're making decisions here that, that are going to impact your operation. Uh, be sure that to, uh, to consider what those can be, you know, uh, this, does, it in, does it increase the amount of labor that you have? Does it increase, you know, there's a lot of lifestyle things associated with this too. It's not just a ecological perspective or an economics perspective. There's cultural and social too. It is a system, as I said earlier, and it's all got to fit together for, uh, for the considerations of the operation as a whole. Uh, so, you know, take a, take a big picture, look at it, uh, pencil it out. If it makes sense economically, uh, does it make sense, uh, socially and, and capabilities to meet those types of, uh, challenges also. So, but yeah, I, I would agree with Jeff. Uh, I, I love the idea, and the dream has been the same, that there's our landowners and stewards of our lands are, are doing a benefit to society. I'm glad that we're getting to a point to where maybe that benefit 
has an opportunity to become an economic benefit also in the future. But proceed with caution. Well, I'll just echo it. I mean, I completely agree with everything that they said. From a legal standpoint, I think that um, those same concerns exist. So just a couple of kind of key things for me. The first one is you've got to read the contract. Um, you know, we talk about the big picture. We talk about, about that. And I think all of that is very true. But I'm telling you where people are going to get bit is the little details in the fine print of the contract that you really have to read it and make sure you understand it. Um, I know that nobody likes to have to pay a lawyer for anything, but I promise um, this one's worth hiring a lawyer for, right? Because these contracts are also new. They're also different. It, it's just different, you know, concepts than we've had before. So that's one thing I would say. Uh, another thing I would say when you're looking at those contracts is you need to know what your deal breakers are. Because, you know, we can go through this list that we've kind of walked through here and give you all the questions to ask. You need to know. Which of these things are just maybe kind of annoying to me? And which of these things are absolute deal breakers that are going to make me walk away? You know, you need to know that going in to analyze a contract, because if one of those deal breakers is there, you need to be ready to walk. So um, that's something else that I always tell people. The last thing I'll say, and I just because I hear this so much, people will say a lot, you know, when we talk to this company and they say, we can just try this out. And if if it doesn't work or if things don't go like we thought they would, we can just walk away from the contract, right? We'll just walk away. Um, I'll just tell you that lawyers don't write contracts that people can just walk away from. That's why we have jobs, okay? So um, I, I just really watch that. Very rarely can you just walk away. You may be able to get out of a contract, right? You can terminate the contract. You can end the contract. But look at the consequences that flow with that. Because oftentimes there are major consequences or financial hits or things you're not thinking of. Don't assume that you're going to ever be able to just walk away scot-free from a contractual obligation in one of these agreements. Can I, can I just ring the bell on what she just said regarding go get a, a professional legal opinion on a contract that's presented to you and not just any attorney, an attorney that has experience in, in either agriculture or specifically carbon. There's, there's a, there's a few in, around the state and there's probably going to be a lot more in the, in the near future, but absolutely it's internet. It's, it's important to understand the capabilities of your property, but that legal document is what's going to bind you. So it's critically important. I'll just finish up with saying unanimous. I agree. Okay. So if, uh, you know, if I hear everybody, it's proceed with caution. Uh, definitely something that, that may be, may be here to stay, um, but, but definitely proceed with caution. And, and I would say, you know, um, I know uh, Tiffany would be a great resource for anybody looking for an attorney within her network. Uh, to, to maybe guide people towards. I know my, our attorney here locally is, is getting versed on these contracts right now. And so, um, so I think it's, um, you know, as, as time goes on, there'll be more and more uh, people to kind of vet these things out. So hopefully um, it, it'll be a good thing that, that it's intended to be um, long-term, but uh, I'd really appreciate um, all of you guys' time. Um, I look forward to seeing you all in Fort Worth. Uh, in a couple of weeks, which will be, or actually in a week, it's, it's getting here pretty quick. So, um, so anyway, um, thank you again for your time. And, um, you know, on behalf of the Grazing Lands Coalition, um, just jump into these contracts with caution, uh, move, move slowly and fast at the same time, I guess. But uh, 
anyway, thank you guys. Um, I appreciate everything and, and just, uh, just uh, really grateful for the expertise that we have access to in this state around the land uh, and the stewardship practices that we're all trying to achieve. So appreciate it, guys.